You are listening to Pimp Your Brilliance podcast, episode number 30. This episode is brought to you by my brand new booklet, The Fear Guide. Learn practical steps and strategies to shut down the course of fear so that you can take action on your ideas. Get the download for free by visiting thefearguide.com. Go check it out and then stay tuned for later on in this episode when I tell you a bit more about it. Welcome to the Pimp Your Brilliance podcast with Monique Malcolm, a show about creative people leveraging their brilliance to create their own opportunities. I aim to show you what's really possible when you shut down the chorus of fear and lean into your genius zone. You can learn more about this show and subscribe for updates by visiting keepchasingthestars.com backslash podcast. Hey, Star Chaser. Welcome to another episode of Pimp Your Brilliance. I am your host, Monique Malcolm, and I have another interview for you today. I'm interviewing Sarah Von Bargen of the ever clever and witty blog, yesandyes.org. It's amazing. I've been reading this blog for years and I'll talk about that in the beginning of the show once Sarah comes on. But let me tell you a bit about Sarah. Sarah is a blogger, writer, and teacher who helps people put their money, time, and energy where their happiness is instead of wasting it on throw pillows and Netflix binges. She's the creator of Bank Boost and Make It Stick Habit School, and her work has been featured in places like Forbes, Elle, Lifehacker, and Glamour Magazine. She really is an OG blogger. She's been blogging for years, and her site is just this nice mix of like practical but approachable information for women, and I love it. So if you have never been to Yes and Yes, definitely make sure you make a note to go visit her site. But in this episode, she shares with us about how she got started as a blogger, why she felt like blogging was the thing. She talks about how she's running her business 100% wrong and what that means. And then finally, she ends the show with offering us up three still worthy habits that will support your business. And they're pretty clever. So you might want to take note of those too. So this is happening, guys. As always, grab your pen, grab your paper, and let's dive in. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you. And I feel like I say this all the time, but I can truly say I'm really excited to have you on the show because you're one of the few blogs that I actually read. I don't read very many. (laughs) And um, you're the only one that I read consistently and I have for a number of years. I discovered you, I don't even know when, but it was, I know I found you via StumbleUpon and it was an article linked to one of your used to do this new things and i think at the time it was like 33 new things and so it was an article related to that and Mm -hmm. i loved your writing style i thought it was witty and really clever and it was different than all of the other things i was finding online at the time so i've been like a consistent reader for a handful number of years Thank you so much. And I still do my new things, but now I just post about them on Instagram because some some of my new things are honestly really boring. <laughs> it was hard <laughs> to like work up 500 words about like going to a restorative yoga class. So now I just do it on Instagram stories and, you know, I'll put together like a highlight of all the things I've done, but I still do them, just not in blog form. <laughs> well, I love that. And I love the consistency. You're like an OG blogger. So I am. I really am. You are. And I tell people like I started blogging in 2008, but I've had like four blogs since then. Nothing has lasted very long, but you have had 
your blog for a number of years. So I can't wait to oh my gosh, yes. your story, how you got started, like the whole thing. But let's start from the top. Tell us how you got started and how you make a living online. Sure. Um, well, so I got started. I always feel like I need to be very honest and transparent with everyone that I have been getting paid to write for 18 years. And I also have a background in marketing and advertising. So I like very much came to blogging with the deck stacked in my favor. I think it's important to be honest about that. I had taken a break from working in marketing and journalism, and I had been um, teaching ESL abroad for several years. And when I moved back to America, I was sort of struggling to like reacclimate, and I had a teaching job that was really hard and I needed a creative outlet. I'd been reading blogs for a long time. I knew how to write, I understood marketing. So I thought like, I can do this. And also there was a very specific type of blog that I wanted to read, but I couldn't find such a blog. So I sort of just thought like, well, I'm just gonna start the blog that I wish I could find. I'm gonna be the blog that I wanna see in the world. And I sort of inadvertently stumbled into a hole in the market. And between like, I guess, finding a hole in the market and being lucky enough to have this skill set, I found success relatively quickly. And I've been blogging now for 10 years, which is insane. And I've been self-employed for seven, seven and a half. Like truly, I get emails from people saying like, I've been reading you since high school and now I'm a mom, which makes me feel, (laughs) oh my God, so old. Um, and in terms of how I make my living, and this is something else that I think is really important to be transparent about is I have, I think eight different streams of income. And if you are a solopreneur or an entrepreneur, you probably see some people online who have one online course and they make a literal million dollars off of one product. And so if, if seeing that makes you feel sort of less than, and you feel like maybe, you know, what are you doing wrong that you are not making an actual million dollars off of one product? I am here to tell you that I don't make a million dollars. I make a, you know, a comfortable middle class living, but I do not make a million dollars and I make my middle class living um, via eight different streams of income. So if you're doing that too, welcome to the club. (laughs) I, what do I do? I have online courses. I do one-on-one coaching. I have affiliate links. I am part of um, a teaching, I like do workshops for another woman who has um, a course. What else do I do? Oh my gosh, I very occasionally do sponsored content. Um, I have big corporate contracts and I very occasionally ghostwrite. And what else? Oh, and I have eBooks. I think that's it. But so that's a lot. So if one of those things dry, if one of those things dries up, if I lose, you know, a big corporate contract, or I finish, you know, ghostwriting someone's book, that's fine, because I still have lots of other um, streams of income. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, because that's such an important topic. And I, I try to be really honest and transparent on the show and let people know, because there's a lot of people who are starting out mm-hmm. that like what you see online is not the final story. There's oh my always backstories no. and yes. hidden things. So I want to just really dive into that because I read something recently on your blog that I would love to circle back to mm-hmm. in a little bit where you talked about like you don't do, you're, you know, you're running your business 100% wrong because you're doing all of these things oh, yeah. that <laughs> yes. the gurus are telling us not to do. Mm-hmm. So put a pin in that because I want to come back to yes. that. But I, I want to go back to, um, you said that you started blogging after you had a hard time acclimating. So can we talk about like that time and kind of that transition? Like 
why did you think a blog could be the thing? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, well, so I had been living abroad for four or five years. And, and I was living in um, Taiwan. I was doing my master's degree in New Zealand. And I was traveling to many non-Western countries. And so imagine that life and living out of a backpack and, you know, on the back of mopeds and literally working in refugee camps and then moving to Minneapolis. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was really hard. And also, in addition to that culture shock, when I was in New Zealand, I had six weeks of paid vacation and great health care. And my um, quote unquote commute to work was a 20 minute walk along the bay of the ocean. And then when I came back to America, I had a 45 minute commute where I sat and stop and go traffic. I took a $12,000 pay cut. I was in front of students six hours a day, which if you're a teacher, that is a completely insane amount of time to be on <laughs> your feet interacting with students. And, and the thing that was really hard is, and I mean, I think that this happens to lots of people not just people who are coming back to a country, but like when you have a kid or if you get married before your friends or if you get divorced and your friends are all married, is if other people aren't haven't had that experience, you, you can't really talk to them about it. You can try, but it doesn't always go that well because I didn't have any other friends who had just moved back to America. And if you say to somebody like, hey, I'm struggling with life in America, and they're like, I've been here all along, what are you talking about? It's a hard conversation to have. So I felt isolated. I was stressed out by my new job. My boyfriend who had moved back, who was also American, he moved back with me. He was super pumped to move back in America. So I couldn't even talk to him about it. <laughs> and so I just, I knew that I needed something that was just for me. Um, I wanted to maybe connect with other people. When I um, initially started blogging, I even wrote about sort of, um, I wrote a lot about travel. I wrote a lot about you know, sort of the different forms that adulthood could take. And you don't necessarily have to, you know, marry your college sweetheart and immediately like start working your way up the corporate ladder. And it was also a good distraction for me. It was a way for me to get my mind off of the fact that I was sitting in traffic for 45 minutes a day and that I missed my friends from New Zealand and I, you know, missed foods that I couldn't get anymore. And, you know, I had taken this huge pay cut. It was a good distraction for me. And, you know, in my wildest fantasies, I hoped that I could become self-employed, but it seemed so implausible that when I started, it was just like, you know what, I'm just going to do this for fun. I just need to get out of my head and, and work on something new. Oh, and okay. So I want to, I want to ask you about that. So you mentioned that you started blogging 10 years ago. You've been self-employed mm -hmm. for about seven and a half years. So how were those mm -hmm. early years of like blogging and realizing like you're making money from this and maybe it could be sustainable? Oh, gosh. Well, at first, it was just totally for fun. But I think because, you know, I had this, I'd been, I'd been sort of a professional writer before, and because I understood marketing, I started getting traffic relatively fast, and people started to notice my blog. And so people would email me and say, can you help me with this? Or you're a good writer, can you write this thing for me? And also, because I wrote so much about travel, and because I had experience traveling by myself, and because I had experience traveling for months at a time, which, you know, is not something that tons of people have, people were also emailing me asking for advice about that stuff. And so I wrote two, you know, super basic ebooks. And by ebooks, I mean, like a giant PDF that I put together in like Google Docs. I wrote two ebooks about travel and, you know, sold like 1000s of dollars worth of these ebooks. And people started hiring me to write things for them. And slowly, I started making a, a, a significant, you know, hundreds of dollars a month. 
And I sort of thought like, oh, maybe this is, maybe I could do this. And so it was a pretty gradual realization. And what I ended up doing was I quit my teaching job to do an 11 month backpacking trip around the world. And I decided that I was going to use that trip as sort of like, I was going to test out being self-employed on that trip. Because if you're only making $700 a month, you can do that if you're living in a hostel in India. Like $700 a month if you're living in India is totally fine. $700 a month when you're living in Minneapolis is not going to make it. And and also it just felt like it was easier to sort of lump that one change in with a bunch of other changes. Like I felt like it would be too hard. Like on Friday I'm a teacher and on Monday I'm a blogger. So it felt easier just to sort of mix it into the whole thing. And then if at the end of the trip, if I didn't have enough clients and it wasn't working out, I could just get a teaching job, but it ended up that I didn't have to. That's such a funny thought process. So you're like, I'm already making some major changes. I'm just going to burn it all yeah. down and see how it yes. works. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes. Because, and also I also felt like I, I know myself well enough that it's emotionally easier for me to, to navigate a bunch of changes at once because I felt like if I was, you know, still in my apartment in St. Paul, I would be putting so much pressure on myself to like, be making like 70 grand as a freelancer in the, you know, in the first year. And, but if I was, if I was traveling, I would be sort of too distracted as I should be, you know, hiking and meeting new people and volunteering here. And also, you know, writing on the side for clients, it would keep me from getting too much in my head about it and like worrying too much about what success should or should not look like. Oh, so let's talk about that. So fast forward some years, you've the blog is established, you're making money, you're full time, you have your several income streams. At mm-hmm. this point, like, how are you managing some of these things? Because like, that's a lot of different income streams to be kind of tossing up. And I, I'm sure not, not all of them are happening like at the same time. Mm-hmm. But like, how are you kind of balancing like your day to day stuff? Um, well, basically two things. Number one, I have a phenomenal assistant who is just, I am not exaggerating when I say that when I make my gratitude list every day, her name is on it like at least once a week. So number one, I have an amazing assistant. Um, and number two, I do the bulk of my writing once a month on a DIY writing retreat. So I just book myself into an Airbnb for one or two nights and I do not connect to the internet. And I just write and write and write and write in Google Docs. Uh, the whole month? Like all of yeah, your well, writing done at yeah. once? Yeah, the vast majority of it. And again, this is also like, I, you know, I've been writing for 18 years. So I can write two, three, four thousand words in a day. Not not every day, but, but this <laughs> is just, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but it's sort of because I got my start in journalism and in PR, those are not fields where Nobody who works in journalism has writer's block. Nobody who's writing press releases has writer's block. That is a non-issue. You do not have that luxury. Like, you know, you need to print the paper, so you need to hurry up and write it. Because that's how I got my start writing. That's always just sort of how I've approached writing. Like, to me, it's simply a skill set I have, just like anybody else. Some people can code. Some people are chefs. Some people are preschool teachers. I write. I, I don't, you know, for better or for worse, I don't really romanticize it. So yeah, I just book myself into an Airbnb, don't connect to the internet and write probably 80% of my content in one or two days. My uh, my Make It Stick Habit School, I wrote in one um, weekend at an Airbnb on a goat farm in rural Wisconsin. 
that that is amazing like your perspective on like you just write and you don't have the luxury to play around like I love that I love that like it's very soothing (laughs) when you take the pressure and also like when I'm writing I don't write the introduction I don't worry about the title like I just bullet point it out and if I get stuck on a bullet point then I'll go to a different one if I get stuck on one blog post I just go to a different one like I don't proof it I just get you know the shitty first draft out (laughs) That, I mean, that's really impressive, especially I I need to, I need some help because clearly I'm doing this all wrong with the writing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you just take the pressure off yourself and just allow it to be bad. And also for me, not connecting to the internet and not having my phone next to me is huge because if I am on the internet, I'll hit a block and I'm like, oh, clearly it's time to check Facebook. So, so not being connected to the internet is extremely helpful and being in a space that's not my house. So I can't like, oh, now it's time to take out the laundry. If I am in a space where there's no internet and there's no like fussing for me to do, you know, with the laundry or cleaning the kitchen, I will get so much done. It's almost embarrassing how much I will get done because Mm -hmm. it makes me like embarrassed of my day to day self. All right. So let's, you mentioned your assistant and you said you have an amazing assistant. So Mm -hmm. was there like a particular process that you went to, to find somebody that was really good? Because I know that this is like a sticking point for people. People want help, but they don't know how to find good help or like what they need help with. Yeah. Well, well, I would say if you have struggled to find a great assistant, don't feel bad. Um, It took me, I think three years to find Erin Gibson, I don't think she's taking new clients. Sorry, guys, but she's phenomenal. Um, So I went through eight assistants in two years, and I am, like, a nice person. (laughs) Like, I'm not mean. I'm not, you know, I was, like, you know, onboarding and, you know, really trying to, like, set these people up for success, and it just wasn't working, um, partially because I think, you know, you get what you pay for, and if you're trying to do, like, college interns, they have other priorities, as they should. They're writing their finals. They're, like, taking classes. Or if you're trying to use somebody, you know, in a different time zone and English isn't their first language and you're trying to – and you want them to, like, proof your stuff that's in English, like, that's not going to work. So, I mean, honestly, you get what you pay for. Um, and a really good assistant – you know, is, is kind of expensive, but if you, you know, run the numbers, like, like I, Erin has helped me make more money. She's made my day-to-day life better because she knows how to do stuff that it would take me, you know, hours and hours to find out. And I can just email her and say like, I know this is theoretically possible, but I don't know how to set it up. And she'll be like, yep, I can do it. How I found Erin was I was looking for beta testers for my put your money where your happy is class. And I wanted specifically a few beta testers who were good with money because I wanted to see if this was helpful to people who already like had a pretty good understanding of money because I needed to know who to market it to. And I had known Erin online for quite a while. So I asked her to be my beta tester and I asked all my beta testers to give me feedback. And most people, you know, they'd send me like an email saying like, oh, I noticed this typo or this was really good. Erin created a separate Google Doc for each module of the course. And then she told me these are the typos I found. These are like the leaps of reasoning that I found that could, you know, be expanded on. These are like design flaws that I found. And then after she sent me all this, she's like, by the way, I'm I'm opening up, you know, I'm hanging out my shingle as a as a virtual assistant if you'd like to hire me. And I was like, oh my God, take all my money. <laughs> um 
yeah, she's amazing. And I think, and now I think all of her clients are people that I have referred to her because I won't shut up about how amazing she is. That sounds amazing. I mean, like the, the editing that she did just for something that she was beta testing. That sounds phenomenal. Yes. I would say like, (laughs) it's worth exploring the network that you already have. You know, like you might know somebody who is looking for extra work or they want a side hustle and they just want like five hours a week or, you know, it might be worth your time to check out who's in your professional network before you go on Fiverr or I don't even know where people go to get um, assistance, but but it might be worth checking out who you already know and your network before you, you know, hire a stranger. And that's a very good point. So entrepreneurship, running your own business, it's not all kitties and unicorns and rainbows oh, all the yeah, time. No. So talk to me about some of your challenges that you've had running your business. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I would say probably the hardest thing is three years ago, I became a stepmom and a wife. And that dramatically changed pretty much everything about my life, obviously. Um, and so I had been running my business in a way that worked really well for me for five years. And I moved, I have less free time, my priorities changed. And so it was I mean, navigating those changes were hard. And I think the other thing that's hard is when you go through a big life change, like if you get married, if you have a kid, if you get divorced, if you have a health challenge, if you move across the country, if you're caring for your parents, that is where your attention should go. And that's where your energy should go dealing with your real life. But when your energy and attention goes to your real life, the reality is, is that your business might suffer or or it's going to plateau because you can't give it the same time and attention that you were before. And so it can be hard because you can you see your peers advancing while you are tending to the rest of your life, which is what you should be doing, but it can be hard. So I think that was probably one of the challenges is it felt like and I I really had to sort of work through, you know, the comparison trap and and feeling less than because it felt like people, my sort of online peers were sort of moving on without me while I was moving and figuring out how to be a stepmom to a five-year-old and moving into a house and, you know, totally changing all these things about my business. So I would say that was probably the comparison trap and and navigating work-life balance when your life changes. I, I can relate to that 100%. Everything that you just said, I, I felt like, were you have you been reading my thoughts? <laughs> because I, <laughs> I went through a, a really challenging health thing like two years ago. And everything that you said is exactly right. And, and now I'm so adamant about like, there are things that you can do now today to help your business not be so crazy and wacky or completely stop if things happen. Mm-hmm. And I just don't mm-hmm. think that we always give that enough thought. But just what you said about feeling that comparison trap or feeling like everybody's advancing further ahead and you're just kind of sitting here like I'm doing this thing I'm sitting in the hospital but everybody's like Mm -hmm. living their life on Instagram it's a very kind of isolating weird place to be in because it's like who do you tell Mm -hmm. I'm upset that I am sick and I should be recuperating but really I want to get to work because everybody just did something amazing and I'm sitting here (laughs) watching TV oh yeah (laughs) Absolutely. And there's like a limited, you know, like you want to share your struggles and be vulnerable, but you also don't want to be unprofessional. And if the things you're going through involve other people, you want to be, you know, conscious of that. And you don't 
you know, like if you're having a health issue, mental or physical, and you talk about it constantly, also potential clients might be like, ooh, you know, like she's having a tough go of it. Like now is not the time to hire her. And then maybe they never come back. So it's, it's really hard to navigate that stuff in a way that is transparent and you can find the support you need, but also doesn't reinforce negative narratives that you have about yourself. It's tough. It really is. So I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Okay, Star Chaser, let's get real about fear. Fear is natural. Your mind is a brilliant piece of machinery and it wants to protect itself at all costs. So fear by design is a defense mechanism. Its primary purpose is to keep you safe. Unfortunately, too many of us let fear hold us back from truly living the lives we were meant to live. I believe that we are suffering from a fear-induced inaction epidemic, and I want to change that. So I wrote the fear guide to help you get out of your own way by providing you with a toolkit that you can use to silence the course of fear and take action. These are the actual strategies that I use while chasing after my biggest goals, ideas, and dreams. Inside the fear guide, you're going to learn the truth about risk and why taking risks is important and beneficial in your life. You're going to meet the course of fear. You're going to learn what it is and how to keep it in check. And finally, you're going to learn practical and actionable steps to move you past fear. So I'm sharing a repeatable process full of insightful questions and exercises that will help you take action. So yes, this is my not so subtle nudge to get you out of your head and into action. It's definitely required reading. If you want more information about the fear guide, it's available for purchase as a physical booklet or a free digital download by visiting thefearguide.com. I want to circle back to what I mentioned earlier about you saying that you're running your business like wrong and differently than everybody else, yes. which is not <laughs> wrong. But I, I love that you wrote that post and that that resonates with me on so many levels. And I know that it would probably help somebody else to hear those things. So can we talk about that? What are some of these things that you are doing, quote unquote, wrong? Yes. Um, so basically, the two things that I'm doing, quote unquote, wrong <laughs> is that I started to offer one on one coaching and I'm running my courses live. Your listeners have probably witnessed people doing this online. So they'll start out doing one-on-one coaching. And then for a variety of perfectly valid reasons, they burn out. And then they take the stuff that they covered in their one-on-one coaching and they turn it into online courses. So it's totally passive. And the rationale is they say, I don't want to do one-on-one coaching because, you know, I keep talking to everybody about the same issues. It burns me out and I'm exchanging my my time for money. So I could be helping a lot more people if I, you know, put this onto a course. And I totally get it. That's That's a completely legitimate business model. I understand. But I like it. <laughs> like, I like doing one-on-one coaching. I like having ongoing clients where I talk to you at the beginning of the month And we figure out, you know, what you're going to do, like how you're going to have this conversation about money with your husband. And then the end of the month, we have another call and you're like, oh my gosh, it went really well. And this is how much money we saved. Like, I really like that. When you blog, when you, I know the people like my blog posts, I know that they find them helpful, but most of the time I'm just like sending them out into the ether. (laughs) And not, it's not that often that somebody emails me and says like, oh my gosh, this changed my life. But when you're coaching one-on-one, you get that feedback. So I find one-on-one coaching, I really like it. I, uh, I'm i introverted, so I don't want to do like three coaching calls a day, five days a week. But it's really fun to do like two a week. 
So that's something that I'm doing quote unquote wrong and I totally don't care. And the other thing that I'm doing quote unquote wrong is that I decided that I wanted to run all of my online courses live at least once a year at no extra cost. And anyone who has purchased the course can take part in the live version without paying extra. So if you buy Make It Stick Habit School today, you can go through the live version when I run it in November. And if you buy Put Your Money Where Your Happy Is today, you can run through the live version um, when I do it in October. And I know, I mean, I understand why people don't, why teachers and bloggers don't want to run their courses live because when it's passive, you just wake up and check your email and there's a notification that you know, there's a PayPal notification that you sold a course and you don't have to do anything. And when you're running it live, you, you know, you have to answer emails and monitor the Facebook group and like put on makeup so you can be on camera and do live Q and A's. Like I totally get it. I understand why people don't do it. But what I have found is number one, um, 90% of people don't finish online courses. It's a very often quoted statistic. So to me, if something isn't working for 90% of the people who use it, I think that that is something that needs to be reassessed. Like, I mean, can you imagine buying a blender that 90% of the people who bought it were like, no, this doesn't work. Like that's, that's insane. <laughs> I mean, it's insane that, that the sort of online industry knows that 90% of people don't finish courses, but they're like, yeah, no, that's fine. And they're like, okay, with like putting something out into the world that isn't serving the people who buy it. And I mean, like my courses are $97 and $200, $250. So like, that's kind of a lot of money for something that isn't actually working. You know, in a perfect world, a person would understand like, okay, I don't complete online courses, I shouldn't buy it. But I mean, the marketing around a lot of online courses is very fear based and extremely persuasive. So I just didn't, want to be part of that. And also I ran my bank boost course. So when you buy the the bank boost course and you just do it as a workbook, people were bringing in maybe like two to 300 extra dollars and the, and the book costs $17. So that's still, you know, that's a pretty good amount. But when I ran it as a live course and there were weekly emails and there was a Facebook group and live Q&A, people brought in thousands, literally thousands of dollars. There were at least two people who brought in $7,000 just because it was live and there was accountability. So to see, I think that's what, 2,300% better results. Like it's just insane to get like that much better results for my students with honestly like not that much extra work from me. Like to me, that's just a no brainer. And I think that pretty much any online course would have similar results. Like if you actually ran it live, your students would get way, 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 way better results. I just, I love that perspective. Uh, when I read that blog post on your site, I, I really thought like, this is so right. And, and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately they keep talking about like how things are broken mm -hmm. in the online course industry mm -hmm. and like how the how-to industry is kind of broken, mm -hmm. but nobody's really talking about solutions to fix it. And that for me is such a sore spot. Mm -hmm. the, even though I work online and, and I have friends that are, have those really crazy successful courses, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I just, I just choose not to, <laughs> to yeah. listen because it's, I find it to be frustrating. And when you, when you look at and I can say this because I get all, and I'm sure you do too, emails from people and like they really want these things to work and they really want changes. It's mm -hmm. really frustrating to me that I feel like 
there's this coldness about like, let's just get them in the cart and get them to check out versus like, let's solve this problem and let's help these people live their best and better lives because ultimately that helps everybody in the long run. But sometimes. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, yes. Like there, I mean, there are courses. I mean, we've all seen them. There are courses that cost thousands of dollars. And for those thousands of dollars, you get like once a month, you get a, you know, like an hour long phone call with this guru and there are hundreds of other people on the call. And I mean, you know, I would hope that the people who have, who are purchasing these courses that cost thousands of dollars, I would hope that they can truly afford that. And that, you know, if they threw away $3,000 on a course that they don't use, it's not going to like put them into bankruptcy. But I mean, the reality is the average American has $6,000 worth of credit card debt. So, I mean, just the law of averages, some of those people who are buying those things can't afford them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is, (laughs) I could talk about this all day. All right. So I want to ask you one final question before we move into the Pimp Your Brilliance Action Challenge. And that is, if you had to sum up your entire experience being a business owner online, learning how to run your business, like what do you feel like would be your biggest lesson that you have learned? Oh my gosh. Um, I think it's probably to release expectation around how something will be received or how successful something will be. Um, and I'm sure that you've had this experience. I'm sure all of your listeners have had this experience, but I've written, I think there's 2,300 blog posts in my archive, which is insane, (laughs) which is completely insane. And I have written blog posts where I'm like, this is a man of this is going to go viral. This is going to change people's lives. And there's two comments on it and nobody cares. My most popular blog post to date is a listicle that I wrote in a half an hour and it went so viral that it crashed my website three times and I had to change my host. Um, <laughs> you know, so like I just really try to do my best. I put work out into the world that I'm proud of and I'm proud of the work that I do. And I just sort of like do my best to release expectations about if other people are going to like it because you can't control how people react to your work. You can just do your best. That's all you can do. I love it. Okay. So for the Pimp Your Brilliance Action Challenge, we talked about this beforehand, but you are going to share three steel worthy habits that people can do that will support their business. So let us have them. Yes. Um, So one of the things that I really talk about and think about and teach is the importance of habits, because once something is truly a habit, it doesn't deplete your self-control and it doesn't like deplete your energy. Like your brain isn't even on, you're just doing it. So if you can create, you know, daily, weekly habits that happen to support your business, it is insane the results that you will get and it won't exhaust you the way maybe some other things would. One of the the um, habits that I have is I do not um, check my email or my phone. I have a really um, strong morning routine and I do not check my email or my phone until I um, have completed my morning routine, which means that when I start my work day, I am in a really good place um, emotionally, psychologically, energy wise. So I'm not reactive. I'm not exhausted. And I know that I'm going to do my best and bring my best to um, any interactions I have once I do finally um, check my email or my social media. So that's one habit is not checking my email or my phone um, until I've done my other um, morning routines. Can I ask what is your morning? Like, what does it consist of? Oh, sure. Okay. So I number one, I do not get up to an alarm, because that's one of my personal barometers of success. Like it makes me feel 
Like, why am I self-employed if I'm getting up at 6 a.m.? Um, so I just wake up whenever I want. Sometimes it's 6, sometimes it's 9.30. Um, and then I drink a glass of hot lemon water. Just the internet, the healthy internet people told me to do it. I don't know. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be good for your, I don't know what. Uh, but so I drink a glass of hot lemon water. And then I make breakfast. And I make like a real actual breakfast that I like eat on a placemat at my dining room table listening to the radio. I'm not on my phone. I'm not doing anything else. Um, and then I make a cup of coffee and I read, um, some fiction and I read until the coffee is gone. And then I get dressed and I take the dog for a walk. And while I'm walking the dog, I run my Roomba, my robot vacuum. So then when I come back from the walk, the house is clean. And then after that, then that's when I start my work day. And I've also, the night before, um, I've made a list of a five point to-do list. And I specifically only have five things on my to-do list because I can't do them more than five. So after I come back from the walk, that's when I like open up my computer and that's when I look at my phone and that's when I start the day. Awesome. So that is, so habit number one is having a good morning routine and being really conscious and intentional about when I check email and look at my phone. The next habit that I do is every Sunday, and you've probably seen this on my blog, every Sunday I publish a link roundup, which I call it web time wasters. And it's somewhere between like 15 and 25 links to just other things around the internet. And that might seem like, Sarah, how is that, you know, a habit that's beneficial to your business? I am frequently pretty strategic about the links that I embed in that link post. A lot of them are people that I am <laughs> trying to network with professionally, or I'm just trying to sort of, I'm trying to like share my traffic with an important cause. But so when I put together that link roundup, I will tag those people on social media so they know that I've linked to them. And I have gotten tens of thousands of dollars worth of business from doing that. Like, I ghost wrote a book for a woman that I linked to one time. Like I linked to her, I tagged her on Twitter. She was like, oh, I love your stuff. We had a phone call and I ended up writing, ghost writing a book for her. So it's a really great beneficial way to, and a very easy, not gross way to start networking um, because you're starting, you know, with a positive interaction. Like you're sending them traffic, you're telling your people how awesome you think they are. So then later, if you pitch them, they have like good feelings towards you. You've already sort of done something nice for them. So that's another habit that I have is on um, Sundays, I publish that. And then the another thing that I do is my monthly habit of my DIY writing retreat, which I just absolutely swear by. And also the other thing is if you're American, it's tax deductible, which obviously like you have to pay for it, but it's tax deductible. It's a business expense. So I just swear up and down by it before I go to wherever I'm going for the retreat. I put together um, a folder in my Google Drive of rough drafts of everything that I want to write because obviously you can use Google Docs offline. And then I get to my Airbnb. I don't connect to the internet. And then I just write and write and write and write and write until honestly, until my hands cramp up. <laughs> I just love that. Okay. So to recap that really quickly. So the first one is start your morning strong. Mm -hmm. Do not check the internet. Just get through your morning routine and make sure your morning routine is solid, something that you want to do and you can stick to. And basically, I feel like there's a lot of intention in your morning mm -hmm. routine with like reading the book and making an actual breakfast and eating it at the table versus at your yeah. computer <laughs> over mm -hmm. your mouse. 
Um, mm-hmm. The second thing was to you make your strategic listicle. And I love mm-hmm. that you pointed out that you are really strategic about that because people always want to know, like, how do I pitch people or how do I get on people's radar? So that is a stellar. Oh, tip my gosh. Yes, that absolutely. Can steal. It doesn't just have to be a blog post. It could be something that you shared on your Insta stories. It could be yes. podcasts. Like, There's lots of ways to do it. Whatever oh, content absolutely. you're creating, you can mm-hmm. share and like you said, it builds that good feelings, those good feelings. Mm-hmm. And then it's that, that whole like law, what is it, reciprocity, where yes, people feel yeah, like you absolutely. gave them something. So now they want to give you something back. So yeah. super smart. And then your mm-hmm. last one, the DIY retreat, which you said earlier, mm-hmm. helps you write your month worth of content in one mm-hmm. sitting, which I think yeah. is awesome. And I'm going to yeah. try that myself because I need yeah, to do Yeah, you absolutely writing. should. It's just, it works so well. It works so, so well. Absolutely. When you uh, set up your writing retreats, do you have like specific locations in mind or do you just kind of find what looks cool on Airbnb? Well, so usually, so there is one Airbnb that I go to and I feel like, like the first time I went, like they were brand new and I actually, I think I wrote their first review and it is so good. And I like posted about it on Instagram and everybody's like, oh my gosh, where is that? Now I've sort of like, I've like almost ruined it because it's become like so popular. (laughs) And I don't know if I was part of that, but so it's a really, really cute. It's not a tiny house, but it's like a very small cottage and it's on a goat and alpaca farm in rural Wisconsin. And they even like, you can go out into the pen and like pet the alpacas they have baby bunnies they have baby ducks they have kittens it's wonderful and there's no internet it's not even that i don't i choose not to connect to the internet they don't have internet which is really good for me and and it's out in the country so it's really quiet um you know if i need to take a break i go you know take a walk down this dirt road so that's where i usually go but now it's gotten so popular that it's i have to book it out pretty far in advance so if that is not available What I usually do is I try to find an Airbnb that is at least an hour away because I need to drive in the car for a while to sort of get into the mindset like, okay, I'm going on my writing retreat. This is different. I'm going to a new place. Like if I just checked into a hotel in Minneapolis, I don't think it would have the same effect on me. Mm, That's a really good bonus tip that you added there. All right. So my final question is, I know that you're a writer and you're a reader. So are there any good books that you've read recently that we should know about? Oh my gosh. Well, I would say recently, no. (laughs) So one of my, so I live in Minnesota, we have six months of snow. So one of the ways I deal with that is my personal policy is from November to March, I do not read my normal sort of depressing books. I just read more fluffy things. So I'm not sure that I can recommend (laughs) any of the things that I have read lately. But I would say my two favorite books of all time are um, East of Eden by John Steinbeck and um, Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Those are my two favorite books. Like I own them in, I mean, I only own probably like 35 books because I'm a a patron of my public library pretty strongly. But East of Eden and um, Americana are just phenomenal. They will stand the test of time. They are both beautifully written, but also incredibly accessible. So I would say that's probably what I would recommend. And also probably books that everybody who's listening to this knows. So... (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'll definitely add that to the show notes. Okay. So if 
people want to get in contact with you, they want to find you online, where can they find you? Well, my blog is yesandyes.org and all of my social media is under Yes and Yes blog. So on Instagram, on Facebook, and I have a really lovely, super active um, Facebook group called More Money, More Happy, where we have all sorts of incredibly frank and honest conversations about money and happiness that you know, conversations that maybe you can't have with your friends in real life. So if you want to talk about what do you, how do you get out of school debt? Or like, how do you deal when your parents, you know, are getting sick and talking about your inheritance? And like, how do you help your partner, like make you happier? If you want to have those conversations, my Facebook group, More Money, More Happy is a great place to have them. Great. Okay. So I'll add that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Sarah. You offered such like candid things. And like I said, I I adore your blog and I knew this was going to be good. So I'm so excited that I get to share you with my listeners. Yay. Well, thank you so much for having me.